I think that one of the struggles I've had, and I don't know if anybody else can relate, is that the line for me growing up blurred as it relates to performance in life and my spiritual life. That carried over. So I thought, if I pray harder, if I do more, if I go to church and don't miss, check all the boxes, then I'm good. Welcome to the Breakthrough of Grace podcast, a place where we share the stories of ordinary lives transformed by God's extraordinary graces. We invite you to join us as our speakers talk about their journey towards living lives of rich Christian authenticity to encourage and inspire each one of us. We are thankful you're here and taking this time to spend with us. In the second letter of St. Paul to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 7, St. Paul writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Welcome, friends, to this episode of the Breakthrough of Grace podcast with a talk by Ken Sherrar. As we will hear, Ken had a many-year career working with high school and college students as a football coach, leading his team, his fellow coaches, and forming his players. Today, however, he speaks to us as one who has been called from the sidelines. No, he doesn't call the plays anymore, but does seek to follow God's calling for his life. His passion for young people and for helping them achieve their potential and their dreams is very evident. Ken encourages those around him to seek that growth and use their gifts by setting aside the pressures of performance and embrace the school of formation found in the Gospels. With honesty, candor, vulnerability, Ken goes below the waterline to encourage each of us in our own fight, our own race, and how each of us keeps the faith. Ken's story invites us to set aside what the world would say and find our worth, our worthiness, and our belonging in Christ alone. This talk was recorded on campus at John Paul the Great Catholic University in Southern California. We hope it blesses you as much as it did us. Well, first I want to welcome you to JP Catholic. Welcome back. I don't know how many years it's been. I know the story of the, the commencement, the beginning of the Society of Catholic Leaders down in Scripps Ranch. So I, I, I want to welcome you back. I want to thank you, uh, Joe, Brian, and Simon. I wrote it in the order you're sitting. That's way to go. You guys did the right thing. Appreciate your compliance with that. And also, also I want to um, I want to give tribute to Breakthrough of Grace, uh, the podcast, because knowing how the pandemic affected everything and everybody in some way, shape, or fashion. Uh, Society of Catholic Leaders was not left out of that equation because deciding after meeting so regularly, so consistently over the years, what do we do? We can't meet for the sake of health and following what governors said we have to do. That being said, the the pivot y'all made to podcast, as I understand it, uh, I think is encouraging. It's inspiring. 
And to anybody listening, it is well worth the listen. My testimony would be this. My favorite episodes are one, two, and eight. Number one, start with one because it's a welcome from the founders. And it's a great conversation with probably Brian handling all the tech and these two guys, Joe and and Simon, just sharing a wonderful conversation. The second would be, listen to Leah McGinnis, episode two on contemplative prayer. Silent prayer is uh, just phenomenal. And um, for the sake of time, I won't go too deep. Just encourage anybody to listen or re-listen to these. Number eight was Kimberly King. Some of you, if you're in the San Diego area, might know of her because of her her prominence in the media with two different national networks, if you will, and uh, work she did at, at, at a local high school, Cathedral Catholic. But um, her, her message on brokenness is, again, in, incredibly inspiring, and it really causes, it, it caused me to think about my journey and where brokenness sh- has shown up in my life and how God uh, I think the title is actually God's Blessings in Brokenness. And, you know, as believers, uh, and for those that may be on a journey or a search, God blesses in the brokenness for everyone because everyone is broken because of the fall. And we're all in some state of depravity, maybe just different different levels. So I'm a linear thinker and an all-around, all-over-the-place presenter. So apologies if I uh, stray. But I would like, if I may, I'd like to pray again. And uh, I will invite us in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We invite you to be here. We are led by you, by your power. And Lord, in this time, uh, the words of St. Paul are uh, really important. That is uh, that, that you, Christ, increase as we decrease. And most of all, this is not about what I want to say, what I think is important. It's about what my friends need to hear from the Spirit. So I pray you use your words through me. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So people, and this has happened from the beginning, uh, can argue and debate and, and disagree with others or my opinion. Can you think of some examples currently where this takes place? What would you say? What, what arenas or platforms are we seeing this played out? Argument, debate, disagreement, uh, every realm of life, it seems right now. And it has just been, it's exponentially exploded because of digital and media. And, you know, the division and the enemy knows this. So the divisiveness, even within each church, whether it's the Catholic church, non-denominational or denominations, he has really, you know, used media to divide the church over political issues, uh, social equity issues, things like that. So people can argue, debate, 
disagree with, with opinion, but they never can debate our story. And that's what I'm here to talk about is my story so that the four of us don't get into theological arguments. <laughs> you know, so that said, I want to, I want to quote, uh, JP Catholic, for those that may not know, is a newer entity in the land of higher education. We're in our 16th year. We're going to about to end in two weeks with a graduation, our 14th graduation, our 16th year of uh, operation. So there's a lot of uh, film happening here with one of our majors in communications media. We do have business innovation, which Joe is a part of, our faculty for that arena. And of course, humanities, uh, theology and philosophy live there. Uh, so I want to quote, as I begin to tell my story, an exhortation from Oscar Wilde, who said, be you because every other role is taken. And that is my, my prayer, my hope, is that, that I'm Ken, and, and that so much of the distractions out there in, my li in our lives, uh, we're constantly bombarded with opportunities to not be ourselves. And it, it's created the need for the gospel, another need for the gospel. As I share my story, uh, I also want to get to know you, so I, I have, uh, this is the audience participation part. I'll give the example, and what we're going to do is full name our birthplace and our favorite ice cream. So I'm Kenneth Andrew Sherrar. I was born in Los Angeles, California, and nothing is better than peanut butter and chocolate ice cream. Joe, you're up. Joseph Tate Shalkevich. Was born in Panorama City, California, and Rocky Road is way better than peanut butter. <laughs> Mr. Brian. Brian Douglas, uh, born here in San Diego, and my favorite ice cream is the uh, chocolate, it's a cashew milk chocolate mm. ice cream, mm. nutty and uh, chocolate. A newbie, but a favorite. We're kind of old school. Uh, I always am challenged by proof text from God's word on things that I speak of. Uh, and in this case, I would go to Psalm 34, 8, which my devotion of all things took me to there this morning on a devotion source I use. And that is, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Uh, one of my favorite prayers I remember was Rick Warren at Saddleback Church. I went to visiting, living out of state, visiting my family here in California, where I'm from. Uh, I decided to go to Christmas service, and he actually opened a prayer thanking God for taste buds because someone had given him some kind of Christmas cake Probably not fruitcake, <laughs> uh, for those that know that. And from your world of bakery, there's better things than fruitcake probably. But anyway, in all, in all seriousness, I, I really have prayed and, and trust the Holy Spirit that this won't be a talk, uh, a, a presentation, but ra rather experiential. And you just did experience 
audience participation, so thank you. You know, I think about experience kind of like Christmas. And there, there are different types of gifts. Some are the gifts that we open that are you know, also known as presents. And there's other times where the most important one of, of well, Christmas and Easter, there'd be a talk about debate, um, both critically important. But what do kids remember most? Presents? Not often do they remember the present they opened a half hour ago because they're focused on what's the next one. Yet experience taking a family somewhere for Christmas, they never forget that experience. And that's why I think story is so important because it relates our experiences. Story is important on the premises where we are because we as a university, seven out of the 10 students are making films of some sort, whether it's for entertainment purposes, on the big screen, the small screen, streaming. It could be in a, in a, a corporate end of things with uh, commercials and marketing, you know, using uh, the tools of the age to, to further the kingdom that way. And that's what we're here to do. So today I'm going to share some of my story. Uh, I'll start with my early childhood. And uh, my family of origin, this is not an inclusive lift, list if that means everything, but I will tell you, and this may mirror others, what's, what's in my family of origin, the bad stuff would start with murder and suicide. Sadly, that's my great-grandparents' story on my dad's side. Depression, divorce, mental illness, abandonment. Again, that's not an inclusive list. There's other things. I'll stop there. Not a lot of Jesus in that part of my story, in my family of origin. Although I was born at County USC Hospital in LA, I'm a Valley guy like this, okay. yeah, this yeah. young man <laughs> to my left, Joe from Panorama City, yeah. and spent most of, uh, well, up to age 12 uh, in, in cities like Burbank, in and around Dodger Stadium. Uh, for those maybe seeing me, uh, you'll understand the Dodger shirt I'm wearing. Uh, I always wear Fridays, my favorite day of the week, because it's Friday. And uh, so it's Hawaiian shirt Friday every Friday for me. That's part of my brand. It's just what I do. And my in-laws, who are Angel fans, are kind enough to uh, put that aside to get me a nice gift. <laughs> Not an experience, but a present that I'll still never forget because of what it represents. So my mom and dad met cruising on Van Nuys Boulevard when my mom was 15. My dad was 22, just out of the Navy. My father grew up at the Nazareth house, which is an orphanage in Burbank, after he self-orphaned himself with my uncle, running away from all of the family of origin I just mentioned in Lincoln, Nebraska, and made their way to California. From a sibling standpoint, I have two brothers. I have two plus two. I have two uh, full brothers with same mom and dad, and then another mom with my father. You know, there's, there's two half-brothers. Uh, the three of us originals, if you will, uh, had a separation from each other and our mom and dad when I was three, and uh, my younger brother one, my older brother five, and that was the beginning of me experiencing abandonment in my life. And what basically happened was my father was the only one of the two in a position in many 
on many levels to raise us. So after a year apart, we got brought back together. So that's, and, and my father raised us with um, different stepmoms. It's the only way to say it, being truthful and honest here. Uh, sports has always played a huge role in my life. It comes from my father, who I became his favorite when I did what he wanted to do. I became a coach. Uh, so sports, the LA Rams, the LA Times in the early 70s is where I discovered my love for football. Because on Mondays, having a Sunday night, uh, no Sunday night game, we had, we had two Sunday games at 10 and 1, and then we had uh, Monday night football. Uh, but I wanted to see the scores of every team. So I went to the library at my school early, rode my bike, got to the sports page, who scored what, who won. That's what I wanted to know. Dodgers because of proximity, not so much the Rams because of even then cost. When I was 12, we moved to Orange County. That did not change any of my allegiance, even when the Rams abandoned LA for a time to Orange County, yet kept the name. So that was when I was 12. So my teen years is really where I had my introduction to Jesus. And that also was through sports, through a Protestant apostolate that uh, was born in 1957 in Estes Park, Colorado, when a basketball coach gathered with other coaches and what God birthed out of that meeting in Estes Park, Colorado in the late 50s is now um, an international ministry that's known as Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And FCA is was, was the, uh, it was the platform for me because of my brother's involvement in high school. And then when I got to high school, I'm two years behind him. It just, I started going to FCA. And the next thing I knew, we were at going to concerts in Costa Mesa at a place called Calvary Chapel with Pastor Chuck Smith and being saved there, meeting, making that decision, uh, trusting Jesus at that point. Uh, and then concerts, uh, Saturday night, where some of the Christian music Contemporary Christian music out of the Protestant world, you know, was birthed there. The other thing that was happening for me, and I'll talk more about my faith journey, especially the parts where I try and mess it up, uh, which I did real well. Uh, mon I, I, I was, I was always a bossy kid and, uh, was written up on my report cards, uh, pre-computer. It was triplicate. And my dad would always, you need to stop being bossy because my teacher, teachers, however many, Ken's bossy, Ken's bossy, third quarter, Ken's really bossy. So I don't know if it was my dad, someone or me or God just to me directly, but I knew this, I needed to figure out a way to monetize my bossiness. So I made a decision in third grade to be a coach. And that was the, the beginning of what became uh, more than 20 years as a high school and college football coach. Uh, so going to school for college was all about a degree that would earn me a job in the classroom. I felt that would be more marketable than what most do when they want to coach, and that's physical education. But most people think phys ed is like a soda. <laughs> so I didn't want to be that. And English, always English, writing, spelling, reading, it, it just, it seemed to come natural for me. That's, that's the way I went. In my teen years, without knowing it, I, I was building my identity 
on one thing. We all, our identity is, is, is there's a foundation of our identity, of who we are, how we feel about ourselves inside. You know, in the world of psychology, that would be called self-esteem. It would be part of Maslow's hierarchy and self-actualization. And my identity can be defined or it was founded on one thing. And I'm not the only one in this club, but it was all on my performance. How was I doing? And if I was doing well, I felt good about myself. And if I wasn't doing well, uh, I didn't feel real good about myself. Some of that was nature, how I was born, how I was wired. Some of that, even in my giftings, some of that was was nurture, the, the environment I grew up in. And, and a father who raised us really with one motive. I want him to have a better life than I've had. Everything else was on the table. <laughs> and, and that created uh, a lot of performance anxiety in all three of us. So there's a quote I came across. Actually, uh, one of my passions is golf. That was given to me. One of the great things my dad gave me. Anger was one of the things my dad gave me that isn't great, but it's an emotion God created for reason. And it sometimes serves me well and most often doesn't serve me well or the people I'm around. But I read this golf book. It wasn't, you know, how to improve your swing or anything through physical. It was how to improve your experience golfing mentally. And I say experience because it's not all about the sticks and the ball and the hole and the greens. And it is about the scenery and the people number. Yeah. So here's the quote and this. This summarizes, if I could have lived this earlier, it goes like this. If your self-esteem is a function of your performance or other people's opinion, both of which are unpredictable, then your self-esteem is up for grabs every day. Because the Word of God tells us so much about who to put our faith in. And it's, it's not people at least not first. Our foundation is an identity in Christ is what we're offered. The gift of God's word, the gift of his son is that we by choice can be in Christ. And that's a tussle all the time from now until either he takes me for me or he comes back. One of the two is going to happen. He's going to take me or he's coming back if, if I'm reading the word uh, the right ways. And so that's, that's the ongoing because we are conditioned. I was a coach. I was constantly preaching, if you will, to my players, you know, get faster, get stronger, get better, win more. Uh, in all aspects of our lives, performance is, it's inevitable. It's, it's part of our culture. It's, it's not bad if it's in the right perspective. And I think that one of the struggles I've had, and I don't know if anybody else can relate, is that the line for me growing up blurred as it relates to performance in life and my spiritual life. That carried over. So I thought, if I pray harder, if I do more, if I go to church and don't miss, check all the boxes, then I'm good. 
But that becomes what Jesus really was talking about when he said, that's religion, not relationship. I understand the need for the word religion from a world perspective. We have world religions. But from an individual day-to-day walking, it's about relationship, not do the do's, don't the don'ts. And if you do a don't, don't tell anybody. I mean, that's what I grew up in. And it, it, it other word that's often used, the theological word known as legalism. And, you know, 10 laws that God gave us through Moses on the mountain needed 603 additional laws that the Pharisees added over time. And, and it's what they accused Jesus of breaking so often were the fe- those fence laws, those 603 additional. So all that said, part of my faith journey is learning that my spiritual life is not about performing. Is it good to go to church? Absolutely. Mass, uh, is it read my Bible? Yes. But not so God will love me more. That's performance. I do those things and I serve the poor and I express charity, not so he'll love me more, but because I'm responding to what he did first. We love because God loved us first, so much so that he gave his son, knowing all of our errors, all of our sin, while we were still sinners, he died for us. He knew what we were going to do. He's God. So that has been uh, victory when I can live in the identity of Christ and understand that I don't have to perform for him. He doesn't want performance. And again, I'll be clear, there's great things we do, but we do that because we love him, not so he'll love us more. Just quickly, my late teens and and college years and uh, marriage at a young age when I was 21. The 20s and 30s for me were times of uh, Christianity when I wanted it to be there. Uh, I was a churchgoer. I was, uh, you know, portrayed myself as a Christian behind the scenes, not so much, especially in, in, in my marriage as it relates to both are culpable, you know, how we treated each other and, and so forth. It was also, while that was a struggle early, my, my career from a football standpoint really took off. And uh, by the grace of God, despite my efforts to derail, put me in some positions and, and on some coaching staffs and around some people in that sport that I... Uh, greatly respected, greatly revere, learned quite a bit. But on a personal level, it, it was, it was a train wreck. And my wife and I then were in counseling and so forth. In my forties, I, um, again was having some success, but there was a point early at my last coaching job, which was at a, a division one university coaching football. Uh, and I had a, um, not my first, but I had a mental breakdown. I coached two games that season. And uh, it was just a time that God really allowed me to break. And that was, yeah, 2005. My daughter at that point, who's a miracle child, she was five. 
And um, I was done with football. I knew that was a point and didn't know what I was going to do. And God took me on a path. And actually, I landed in ministry at a church I was attending in Las, I was in Las Vegas and served on that staff for about three and a half years. Uh, we made a transition after about five years in Las Vegas when my daughter was 10 to Utah. We had spent a lot of time vacationing there and skiing there. And it just uh, seemed like the next best move for us. Some family in Vegas, they were moving, so we didn't have any tethers or ties to that city. Uh, I was working for a nonprofit at that point uh, that was part of the church, but more of a, it was an extension of 501c3 that was uh, all about social transformation and doing work out in cities and in countries without the word Hope Baptist Church in it allowed us to do work with local government in Las Vegas and do some change with community and really have an impact. And, and that was cool. I was part of that. That changed. And then unfortunately in 2012, my personal life changed. And uh, through a time of separation, unfortunately, my wife and I decided that we needed to, uh, to split, to divorce. And that was really hard. My only child, 12 years old, and her world just exploded very hard. And uh, uh, she was very angry, uh, as, as it should be. I went through it three times with my father. So that's part of my family legacy. I didn't break that I wanted to, you know, that uh, really generational sin. And um, just by God's grace, I, I was able to go through that whole season of depression and, and at that point, I became reacquainted with someone who I had known more than 20 years prior. And at the point that uh, after my divorce, at the point that we talked, we knew instantly we were going to be together on earth as soulmates forever. Again, despite in the last 10 years, it's been 10 years now, married six of those 10 living in separate states, but as a couple for three and a half years, I was in Utah and she was in California, uh, but we, she would not move and I didn't want her to move. Uh, I stayed in Utah because my daughter, once she left for college to the East Coast, I was that untethered us to Utah and we came back home. Well, being from California with aging parents and she has grandparents still alive, I don't. But um, she was what one of the people God used for me to recover and you know, we have our own struggles and, and uh, just listening to Kimberly King about her and Dave's, you know, their journey and, and, and the way their careers separated them so much. And, you know, every, every marriage has challenges and struggles and, and they say it takes work. And, you know, I had to let go of what I thought was just the American dream that, you know, and, and the selfishness that this is all about me being feeling good and that life should be comfortable. And if it's not, I'm angry. And, you know, those kinds of things. It's interesting. I heard recently uh, the influence of the enemy in our world. Think about this, that before a couple dating, before marriage, it's the enemy's plan to get them as intimate as possible, which goes against God's plan. Yet after marriage, his, it switches and his number one 
plan for a husband and a wife, the family unit, is to keep them from intimacy. Pre-marriage, intimacy. Post-marriage, he shifts gears. And we don't even, it's subtle. And that's, that's reality. But uh, the victory's already won, and the battle's not ours. It's the Lord's. Now, he uses us in that battle. So in telling you about my journey, uh, some of the ways God's influenced me, there's a whole lot, uh, like all of us with our stories, the gaps that I had to leave. Uh, but I wanted to, to summarize with some scripture. These are just a few of the things God taught me, if I may. So I'm going to go to, uh, this is a verse my mom who got healthy enough to, um, actually, we got saved the same night. My mom, my two brothers, and my best friend, who ended up becoming a, going to Princeton Theological Seminary because he was smart and uh, became a uh, Presbyterian pastor, which prepared him to serve. I don't know how you do this, but he was both Army first and then Navy chaplain, and now is retired in Maui because his last stay was at uh, a naval base there in Hawaii, and he and his wife, and he's a surfer, so he's in the, we grew up together down the road here in Dana Point, which is where life took us, you know, when we moved to Orange County. And so my mom, because so much, uh, we were apart from each other, she gave me this scripture. She said, this is you and me. And I won't go into why it was called Mizpah, but it says, most importantly, may the Lord keep watch between me and thee when we are apart from each other. That the Lord keep watch. And that means relationship for both people when we're apart. There's many of these necklaces were sold where it was that verse written on a heart, split in two on two necklaces. And put together, it's that verse, Genesis 31, 49, a beautiful verse that Moses gave us. The next verse is out of Numbers. And this is the Lord telling Moses what is known as the priestly prayer. So it's a direction, God knowing all of the people that Moses would influence and most importantly, before anybody knew it, God knew who was taking over for Moses because he wasn't going to see the promised land. And he says this, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. What was really, really cool was listening to the podcast. And that is how your podcast hostess ends the podcast I listened to with that verse. I learned it as a song at Calvary Chapel in the early 70s, and it was known to us as the doxology. It is a song that I sang over my daughter from the time she was born, when she was asleep, 
Sometimes I'd sing it. Sometimes she'd wake up and say, don't sing. <laughs> okay, Taylor, um, in jest, but I would sing it. I would say it. I would pray it. And a little part of the redemption, believe it or not, in the divorce and my relationship with my daughter comes through my dog for this reason. When we were still together, we bought two dogs, one and both who I trained. And the little four-pound Yorkie named Coco Chanel, my daughter's dog, um, you know, stayed with her and her mom as, as God directed our lives separately. When it came time for college, her mom in Utah, me in California, and Taylor was going to the East Coast to go to school in Washington, D.C., we agreed that it was too much for uh, her mom to watch two dogs because of travel and different things. And so Coco Chanel came to me when my daughter was 18. That's four and a half years ago. And Coco's definitely a daddy's girl, but it's really, and, and this may sound mystical and strange, but it's one of my connections back to my daughter. Because for six years from age 12 to 18, before the, the little puppy, 11-year-old Yorkie now, came to me, to us, before we moved to California, she was sleeping on my daughter's bed every night. And so, yeah, that's kind of a connection. And I kind of, in a weird way, thank Coco for being there. And hey, did you ever say those verses? You know, just having fun. Did you sing the doxology yeah, to right. Taylor in all those times? But I, I thank my little puppy for, and we have a, you know, like most, a special. Last verse, as, as we come closely to a close, is from uh, 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4. And for lack of a better term, I do refer to these as my life verses. They're a passage of three scriptures these three verses comprise a, a passage that has influenced me, has motivated me in my darkest days of depression and divorce, which don't define me. They're just part of my story. They don't define me. It's these words. And, and this was uh, Peter, the first pastor, as I understand it, in the first century church who gave the famous sermon, which we know as the beginning of Acts, is now talking to the elders and the flock when he says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not, one translation says, filthy lucre. There was a lot of cheating going on in the marketplace with the scales and ripping people off. That goes way back, right? So not for sordid gain or dishonest gain, not pursuing it for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those who are entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you receive the crown of glory that lasts forever, it never fades. Those are my verses that I 
feel God used in my life as a football coach because my flock were those players. And as a leader to my daughter, a shepherd for my daughter, I believe we are called as a people when the 12 were given their instructions before the ascension, he told the 12 what to do, how to change the world, turn the world upside down. He gave us instruction first as ministers of reconciliation and also, uh, you know, come to me and go to the nations and make disciples. And so whatever we're doing in whatever capacity, you know, I was career services advisor here for a little while before philanthropy. And I, I you know, I used to try and put students at ease by saying, listen, there's no perfect job out there. And by the way, talk to God about this. Ask him this question. God, are you more concerned where I work or what kind of person I am when I work? Got to find the perfect place to live. Is God as concerned about where you live as compared to how, what kind of neighbor are you? How you are as you live? And, you know, that answers the question with St. Paul giving us so much instruction. How now that, then shall we live? We, you know, what's the application? So the last thing I'll say is uh, what God has taught me over the years. And really in my later years, uh, age 40, beginning age 43, I learned this. We are all ministers, ministers of reconciliation, uh, decide, go make disciples, that we're not called to ministry. We are called to intimacy. And ministry becomes the overflow of our love relationship with Jesus. My life goal on earth is to experience God. That's my number one goal. And if I can not know about God, but know God, and even go further, experience God. My daily goal is to spend time with the Father, and that looks a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. There's no one way. There's some certainly some elements, but uh, I believe our identity as believers, when our identity is truly in Christ, and I go in and out of that, it's constantly going back and saying back. Anything else other than identity in Christ, I believe is failure. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Breakthrough of Grace podcast. Feel free to check the show notes for discussion questions and further inspiration. As this episode concludes, we return to the pace and cadence of our day. Just want to encourage you with the following question. What of Ken's talk spoke to you? And even now, what of what he shared lingers with you? We are praying for you, our listeners. We look forward to having you join us on a future episode as people describe their ordinary lives transformed by God's extraordinary graces. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Breakthrough of Grace podcast. We're a small word of mouth movement. Can we ask you to share it with a friend? Please see our show notes and website for discussion questions and other resources. Until next time, May God bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.